Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. All right, well, good morning and welcome to Liberty Bible Church. My name is Tim. I serve uh, as one of the pastors. I'm going to preach on the text we just read, uh, Luke 2. So I'm going to pray for us and then jump in. We'll just pray. Uh, Father, would you uh, now give this story new to us afresh? Angels appearing to shepherds in the field. We know it. Uh, We've heard it. Uh, May it not be... uh, just in one ear, out the other. Do that in a spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Human beings, we need saved. We are as good as dead. Or as theologian Robert Capon put it, Jesus came to raise the dead. He did not come to reward the rewardable, improve the improvable, or correct the correctable. He came to raise the dead. A few weeks ago, I was at a CVS, and as I was checking out, the cashier pointed at the soda I was buying and said, have you seen it? And I looked at my soda very confused, and he responded, the movie, and apparently on my soda was an advertisement for the movie Wakanda Forever, uh, which he asked me, have you, have you seen it? I said, no, I've not seen it, and He begins going into a very detailed uh, expression of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, I have young kids, which means I've seen very few movies in the theater over the last few years, so I've missed almost all of them. And he just goes into how good this movie was. And I was in a a bit of a hurry, and maybe it wasn't my finest moment as a interacting with another human being, but he kept talking, and I just... Yeah, that's that's interesting. And he just... He got more excited the further I got away from him, till. I'm actually, I'm actually outside, and he's still talking to me about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't know if you're familiar. I mean, this is, this is 39 movies they've produced now. Has made $7.1 billion. This is a big deal, and that's surprising because while I've not seen all of them, I've seen a few. They're all the same. There's a villain who rises up, often with supernatural power, who threatens all of humanity, who are helpless in the face of this evil, and they must be saved. And they're saved by some supernatural type being who rises up to fight off the supernatural evil to rescue humanity. Why do we keep paying so much money for the same plot over and over again? Why does this clerk at CVS passionately evangelizing me as I'm out the door to pull me into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? My answer is because we are in that story. If God would like to, he could sue the Marvel movie creators for copyright infringement. Because the plot of Luke 2 is a supernatural villain has threatened and destroyed and has humanity in his grip and we need saved. Uh, And so my hope is, uh, this morning, is you'll see that by the end of the sermon. We're living in Wakanda forever. 
So Luke 2, two things I want to point out, and then I'll take my seat. One, the villain, and two, the Savior. So first, uh, the villain. And there's, there's two villains in this text. One is obvious, the other will surprise you. The obvious villain is right in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Enemy one is Caesar Augustus, or the Roman Empire. Caesar was the most renowned of all the Caesars. Caesar Augustus was the most renowned of all the Caesars. He reigned for 40 years, from 27 BD to 14, BC to 14 AD. He referred to his stepfather, Julius Caesar, as a god, so that he could refer to himself as the son of God. And the census here, that he had to re- people had to be registered, is mentioned four times in this passage, to make clear Caesar had the power throughout all of the world to say to every person, I need to know where you are, I need to know how many of you there are, so I can have your money. Registration mentioned four times. After Caesar died, an inscription was uh, written about him, and it read, Divine Augustus Caesar, son of a god, emperor, imperator of land and sea, the benefactor and savior of the whole world. The savior of the whole world. Most commentators put, point out, when you read through Luke 1 and 2, he is the only gospel writer that repeatedly reminds us when we are. We are in the days of Herod. We are in the days of a decree that went out from Caesar Augustus. There's a villain, and it's Jesus versus Augustus. So that's one uh, villain, but there's another villain in here, and that is a surprising one. And, and in this passage, angels show up. And because I, I like to ask questions, I asked the questions in the, the last couple of weeks, why angels? And I realize you've heard the Christmas story so many times, you're like, because it's Christmas. There are angels in the Christmas story. I know, but why are there angels in the Christmas story? That's the question I've been asking. And to ask that question, first you have to ask, okay, well, what are angels? And here we need to do a little bit of of deconstruction because the popular level vision of angels are often uh, very disconnected from the biblical vision of angels. So when I was in Kansas City living there, I took a couple of prayer retreats to a place called Table Rock Lake. And on the way to Table Rock Lake was Carthage, Missouri. And in Carthage, Missouri is the Precious Moments Chapel. If you're familiar with Precious Moments, they have taken angels and and sort of combined a man and a baby and made them into a man-baby angel. And if you go to this chapel, you could see pictures of them all over the place. And I want to say, suggest to you, if when you think angel, you think a flying baby that appears to be somewhat of a man, you are mistaking what angels are. Angels do a few things. Angels give divine messages. If you remember back to Luke 1, Gabriel says he's the personal servant of the Lord to give a personal message to both Zechariah and Mary. They give divine messages. They protect and aid God's people. So they they have some some force to them. They're protectors. They keep God's people from danger. They bring God's judgment. They're the ones who take out Sodom and Gomorrah. They bring God's not just message of grace at times, but sometimes His message of judgment. 
And four, they're engaged in spiritual warfare. There's a moment in Daniel when uh, Michael, the angel, tells Daniel, I couldn't get to you as soon as I wanted because I was, I was fighting. They're engaged in spiritual warfare. My point is angels are not like flying man babies. That's not what they are. They are warriors. They are protectors. And so why are they here in Luke 2? What are they doing here? Why angels? Well, what they're doing here is they're rejoicing over the birth of the true Savior of the world. But there's actually another text in the Bible that describes what's happening with angels at the moment of Jesus' birth. I want to read it for you. It's Revelation 12. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 and then verse 7. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Now, there's a lot in that passage, and anytime you read Revelation in a church, you're asking for trouble, um, but I only want to say two things about that text. The first thing I want to say is, I really failed in that CVS moment with that clerk, because what I should have said is, uh, my man, if you like Wakanda forever, let me tell you about the story you're living in. There's a dragon, he's been trying to kill a, a, a son, a male child, and you're in danger. We're in danger. We need saving. Now, my guess is he would, not have, he would have been as weirded out by me as I was by him in that moment, but that's what I should have said. We're living in that story. The second thing I want you to hear from Revelation 12 is the moment the child is born, there's a dragon attempting to kill it. There's a lot of symbolism going on in this passage, but my understanding is, is the woman is, is the nation Israel preparing to give birth to the Messiah, Jesus, and at the moment of his birth, the dragon is trying to kill him. You see that in Matthew's gospel. The dragon works his way through the ruler Herod, has all of the male children killed in Bethlehem. So that's our, our true enemy. Yes, Caesar Augustus is the enemy on front and center for Luke, but when the angels appear, it's a reminder we have a second enemy, the dragon, or also known as... Satan, the accuser. And I realize uh, mentioning a devil or a Satan in 2022, soon to be 23 in the United States, can sound quite ridiculous to many of us, but it, it shouldn't. And it shouldn't because of what Flannery O'Connor, the, the author novelist, wrote about a devil. She says, Our salvation is played out with the devil, a devil who is not simply generalized evil but an evil intelligence determined on its own supremacy. Does it not feel like we live in a world that has an evil determined on its own supremacy? It's why we pay $7.1 billion to watch that 
plot play out year after year from the same cycle of heroes and villains and characters. We sense we live in a world where evil is determined on its own supremacy and it's making its headway into our world. Or we look at the world in which we live and it feels like there's evil determined on its own supremacy all around us. We see that in the war in Ukraine. We see that in religious persecution of both against both Christians and Muslims in China. We saw that here a few weeks ago in Chesterton in uh, the death of a beloved teacher in our community. It feels like there's just an evil loose in this world determined to ruin this place for us. And my point to you this morning is that the appearance of angels is that you need saved from this. You don't need improved. I mean, you do need improved, but That's not what you really need. We don't need corrected. We need saved from death. And that is what the angels announce to us. There is an evil in this world that's loose, and you are helpless against it. There is an evil loose in this world. You are helpless against it. Why do you think so many human beings get locked in addiction, unable to break free? Why do countries get locked in wars? often over petty reasons. Why are you struggling with the same sin you've been struggling with for decades? The same angry outbursts, the same greedy use of your own money. Or why is it the relationships break down, people we are close to, deep friendships or close family members, suddenly locked in a conflict? It feels like there's no way out of it, no way forward. Now, I want to be clear, I'm not suggesting we have no agency as human beings. We do. But what I am saying is we can't save ourselves with our agency. We are helpless against this evil. And the angels in the sky are proof of that. There's a cosmic war loose in the world. And you are lost. I am lost in it. And you need a Savior. You need someone else to break in and break you free. And if your thought coming in this morning is, no, I don't. I'm good. <laughs> I can correct myself. I can lead to my own salvation. You are naive. We are helpless against this enemy, as Robert Capon says. Jesus came to raise the dead. You and I can't do that. So we need a Savior. So that's the villain. It's Caesar Augustus, but really behind Caesar Augustus is the dragon. That's the villain. So now let's talk about the Savior. And the angels describe uh, the Savior in, in three words in Luke 2, verse 11. The angels announce, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Three words in there. The Savior is a Christ, a Lord, and a Savior. And those are all uh, direct confrontations with Caesar. And how Caesar referred to himself. The Greek word kurios is the word Caesar described of himself. Caesar would say, I am the kurios, I'm the Lord. But here we find, uh, no, he's not. This baby is the kurios, the Lord. As you heard of the inscription earlier, Caesar would refer to himself as the Savior of the whole world. Luke says, no, he is not, through the angels. This child is the Savior of the world. And this word Christ, it's the Greek word uh, for the Hebrew word Messiah, which just means anointed. This is the anointed one. Caesar is not the anointed one. 
This child is the anointed one. This is a direct confrontation with the political power of Rome. And it's asking the question, well, who is the real Savior of the world? The Christ, the Savior, the Lord. But as we read these verses, there are a couple of things that don't make sense, or at least they don't make sense to me. The first is the shepherds. And again, you say, well, you already picked on the angels. Now you're saying, why are shepherds in the Christmas story? I'm just saying, why are shepherds in the Christmas story? Because shepherds in this day, uh, listen, they, they were uh, some of the poorest people that uh, were around. They had to work two jobs because their land holdings were too small. And so what you have here is, is shift workers on the night shift. That's who angels announce the birth of the Messiah to. It's like, imagine the mayor of Chicago wanting to announce a new initiative, and he or she makes her way down to the, uh, the steelworkers in, uh, in, in, uh, along Lake Michigan during the night shift to announce some important new initiative. It makes no sense. The angels, the warriors of God, break into their announcement to some guys working blue-collar night shift work. That doesn't make sense. But the other thing that doesn't make sense, or really doesn't make sense to me, is, is Luke 2.12, where the angel said, uh, and this will be the sign for you. Signs are really important in the Bible. They're dramatic. Same in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Captain America has his shield. When you see the shield flying in, good things are going to happen. Thor has his hammer. When his hammer's flying around, good things are going to happen. Uh, Iron Man has like the glowy middle thing. I don't know what that's called because I haven't seen enough of the movies. But he's got a glowy thing in his chest. It's a sign. There's, he could, he's going to help, right? So what's the sign of this Savior? And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in an animal's feeding trough. I put my own translation in there because I hear the word manger and that sounds nice. Like, is that like a spa or is that, where is it? What's a manger? It's where animals eat and are disgusting. That's what a manger is. It's an animal's feeding trough. And strips of cloth, while swaddling cloth sounds nice, it's, there's strips of cloth put together to wrap the baby. That This baby doesn't even get a, a full uh, swaddling blanket, just strips of cloth pieced together. A sign of poverty and, and vulnerability. There's not even room for him in, uh, in, in the house. There's no room for them in the, in the guest room of the house. They have to be out with the animals. None of this makes sense. And so the question becomes, why is this the sign? A, a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Why is this the sign? And that, that's where I want to end. And I want to give uh, two answers to that question and then take my seat. The first is what I've been saying the whole sermon is, is we are helpless and need saving. That's the first sign. This, this Advent has been an Advent where I, I, for whatever reason, God has just put on my own heart my own deep need of rescue. I think most days I walk around thinking, I can handle it. That's the American way. And there's something deeply un-American about saying, I'm helpless. But that is the message of the angels in the gospel. In the face of the evil of this world you are up against, you are helpless. And if you've ever been a part or, or seen or, or uh, been aware of uh, addict communities, especially Alcoholics Anonymous, the first step is announcing, I am helpless. There's no progress until that's announced. 
And as a Christian, that's your first confession into the way of Jesus. I am helpless against this face of evil. Have you embraced that? Your own helplessness in the face of this world. Because Advent's a time when you're kind of invited in to reflect on that. Advent's a time when we're reminded of, of, of the darkness, as I spoke to last week. It's a time to be reminded of, of, of death. Is death what you feel like you need saving from this Advent? Our human vulnerabilities. For many of us in this room, this is the first Christmas without a loved one. And death forces itself on us in violence, and we feel the evil of it. You can't save yourself from that. Is it, uh, is it your own broken habits, your own sin? You, you kind of know another year's gone by, you're the same person you didn't want to be last year this time. It's because you're helpless against the evil. <laughs> this world is pressing against you. Is it relational conflict? Is it, it's, right, holidays, time for family, but family's often a reminder, this is not the way it's supposed to be. So what, I'm, what I want you to hear, Jesus did not come to improve you. I mean, he will improve you, but that's not why he came. He didn't come to correct you or to give you rewards because you're better than other people. He came to you because you're, you're, you're on a one-way ticket to death, and he wants that to stop. That's why he came. And until you see the face of your helplessness in the midst of that, you're not ready for Advent. You're not ready for Jesus. So often, I, I do think it feels like the message the church is conveying is, come be a nicer person like we are. And that's why growing up in church, oftentimes the messages I heard was don't run in the church, be quiet in the church, be a nice little boy, don't be rowdy. And I, I just think that's wrong. I should have been an issue to warning when I came into church. Hey, listen, this is a cosmic war zone, and we cannot guarantee your safety in this place. It's far closer to Luke 2 than be a nice little church boy. Or as Annie Dillard put it, I love this quote. Annie Dillard writes, On the whole, I do not find Christians outside of the catacombs sufficiently sensible of conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to the pews. I mean, how many of us, when kids were up here singing about the birth of a Savior, were like, okay, are we okay? Like, could the angels break in? Because we're, we're invoking a power that has destroyed all evil in this, has gotten us, gotten us out of our helpless condition and saved us. Or how many of us were like nice little church boys and girls? Look how cute they are. And they were cute. Let me be clear. But also, they were issuing us a warning. Did we hear it? You're helpless in the face of this evil. So from this moment Jesus is born, it's, it's, a, it's a fight over his life. And as you read through the, the Gospel of Luke, the Satan will show up many times to try to kill him. And eventually he does. And that's what the sign of the swaddling strips of cloths point to. So the second reason why I want to say that the sign is a strip of cloth, 
a baby laying in a manger is because Jesus did not just come to save you, but to seek you. He came looking for you. I've said already a couple times, and I'll say it many times throughout this series, the whole point of Luke's gospel is summed up in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so he comes into this world a vulnerable child. The Son of God yet has to be protected by angels so he can't get killed by the dragon. And why does he do that? He does that to offer you his hand, to lead you home, to free you and to save you. And so that's why it's strips of cloth and an animal's feeding trough you find him. He's not come to, to blow the world to smithereens. Right? The irony about most Marvel movies is when you get to the end, like entire cities are destroyed, millions of people are dead. It's like, did they save anyone? Did this actually work? And yet Jesus comes in not that way. He comes in vulnerable. The violence will be done to him, not through him. And so Luke will expect you to read his, his gospel multiple times. And what you'll find is this is not the last time we're going to read about strips of cloth, linen cloths, with Jesus in his body. There's two more times this will show up. Two more times the sign of cloth will show up for us. The next time is at Jesus' death, after the dragon finally gets him. And a man named Joseph asked for Jesus' body, and we read in Luke 24, 53, Then Joseph took down the body of Jesus from the cross and wrapped it in linens and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. The Savior of the world begins in a feeding trough and ends murdered by the Roman people and put in a tomb. How is that the Savior of the world? Because it's not, not the last time we read about cloths in the Gospel of Luke. The last time we read is Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what he had happened, what had happened. The Gospel of Luke begins with shepherds looking at a baby in swaddling cloths, marveling at what had happened. The Gospel of Luke ends with Peter seeing Jesus' body has, is gone, and the linen cloths are there by themselves, and he is marveling at what has happened. And so this morning, I just want to ask you, what do you need saved from this Advent? Where are you finally ready to acknowledge your own helplessness? God, you got to save me from this. What do you need saved from? And once you see that, then see the sign of the linen cloths on your behalf. Jesus entering into this world. And your response to that is the response of the shepherds who were told, went with haste to see the sign of the, the, the linen cloths, the, the child lying in the manger. The same word used in Mary in Luke 1, go in haste. Our response to our own helplessness is to see Jesus and to go to him in haste. So where do you need saved this Advent? Where does death have you in its grips? Well, see the sign of the strips of cloth, which once wrapped him as a baby, helpless to come meet you where you are, not to blow your life to smithereens, but to come and to meet you where you are in your weakness, to find you in this cosmic war zone. So see the strips of cloth he left behind because he is more than just the child in the angel or in the, in the manger, more than just the weak, vulnerable child who needs help. 
He is the Christ, the Savior of the whole world. Go to him in haste. Let me pray. Father, may we, may we believe this story is not just a really cute, interesting story this time of year. This is our cosmic war and salvation. So may we respond in haste with faith. If there's those who have never believed, God, would they, would they now open their hearts to you and say, okay, Jesus, yes, Savior of the world, save me, bring me home. For those of us who believe, have believed this for a day or for, for our whole life, may we, may we not come to the table now uh, in, in routine. May we, if we've got a helmet, maybe we need to put our helmet on. We come ready for, uh, for, for battle, <laughs> to, to receive our salvation, our victory won for us by your son Jesus. Give us the heart to believe it, I pray in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net. 